So this past spring and summer, there was a huge conversation around social media and black creators. As I look through the past headlines and look at June, July, and August, we see a headline coming from uh, the BBC.com, why black TikTok creators have gone on strike. From NPR.org, here's why the black TikTok strike is happening. From Newsweek.com, TikTok left its black creators behind, now they're going on strike. There was so much conversation around this that I had to sit down with one of the best black creators that I know, Mila Brett. She's a TikTok creator and she's fearless in telling her truth. And I wanted to bring her on to understand, well, what is going on in the social media influencer space to where black creators have to stop everything they're doing and go on strike? I uncovered so much during this conversation that for many weeks, I wasn't sure if we were ready to put this out. But now it's time. Now it's time for you to hear from Myla and hear how her journey has been as she tells the truth. And for many of us, we're now realizing they can't handle this truth. They fear the truth. They fear black liberation. And in many ways, they fear our guest today. I'm DJ Moultrie of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And I'm really excited about uh, today's episode because we actually get to speak with a content creator who is using her platform to advance. Um, Really, to me, it's the the minds of people everywhere dealing with Black issues. And so uh, joining us on the line now is Mila. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. For those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, uh, how you got started in this space. Of course. So I kind of put this out to my platforms as well, but I was born and raised in the Nation of Islam and under the Nation of Islam, whole entire um, program and what we stand on since 1930 to 2021 has been about Black advancement, Black economic empowerment, and really just uplifting and progressing the condition of Black people. So because I was raised under that in my household, I was always focused and aware of Black economics, the importance of economics in our community, and building up, you know, our community, our businesses, supporting Black-owned businesses, keeping the dollar in the Black community for so very long. So it's always been something throughout my life I have been aware of, and now I'm pushing it out and helping to kind of promote all of the things that I found out. 
So take me through that process. You're deciding that you want to leverage this thing in society that we call social media. You see all the different social media opportunities out there. You decide to use it uh, to advance uh, the minds of uh, Black people all over the world. How did that thought process go about? Because you could have used the platform for anything, but yet you chose this particular lane uh, to have the conversation and bring awareness. So how did that process come about? So it actually was a very natural process. I, when I started my social media, I kind of was like everyone, I think, well, maybe not everyone, but majority of people kind of start our social media. We're like, oh, you know, let's kind of put our, you know, foot and test the water. So we kind of just start with, you know, the normal, um, just kind of filling it out with your pictures. Like for for example, for Instagram, you, you post pictures, you, you kind of just wanna see your friends. Um, but for me, like I said, I've, I've always been super conscious and consider myself, you know, just like being raised in the nation of Islam, we call us nation babies. Being a nation baby, I've always been super concerned about the condition of black people. So for my social medias, um, I started to see that you know, obviously people really gravitate towards, um, you know, people with platforms kind of speaking and bringing awareness. And I wanted to just naturally kind of use my platform for that. So I started posting videos at the beginning of the pandemic, actually. And I was talking about kind of how Black people can come together in this pandemic in this time and what we could do to even help ourselves health-wise. And so that's kind of where that started. And when I went to TikTok and TikTok was kind of being developed, I saw that Black men and Black women were kind of going at each other's necks on TikTok. I don't know if you've seen that. And I wanted to get involved and kind of just like, you know, preach to us the power of unity and why we don't need to be doing this on our platforms. And I think it's so important that Black people see on these platforms you know, people who are conscious, people who represent what the Black community truly is, because oftentimes on these platforms, they just show us twerking, you know, promoting violence, things like that. So it kind of was really important for me for several reasons, just because of my background and also what I've been seeing on social media and how we've been represented that I wanted to change the course of and, you know, make our people aware of economics. After I got a little bit of notoriety, I wanted to be like, well, let me lead you somewhere. Mm. I appreciate you um, not only being a representative of uh, positive, uh, a positive representative within our community, but then also being able to have the, the data to back it up, the information to back it up, and not just be a symbol. I think sometimes in today's world, we're, we're okay with just being a symbol of whatever it is that we're looking for instead of actually being meaningful uh, and actually having something transformational. And right. there were, and you mentioned earlier a few moments ago about, um, about having an opportunity to, you know, you know, how do we work together? How do we collaborate? How do we figure this thing out as a community? And so I do want to get into some of those a little later. Yeah. Uh, but how does that feel? Um, on these social media platforms, knowing that you are one of the leading voices when it comes to these issues. How does that, how do you digest that? How do you resonate with that statement? 
I don't even think I've digested that. <laughs> um, in my mind, honestly, you know, I've had people ask me, they're like, so do you plan your TikTok videos? Do you kind of, you know, have these stacked up for months? And um, I really just honestly love Black people so much and have such a strong desire to see us progress that when I make these videos, I genuinely am just thinking, how can I get us to realize the power we have in our unity and our spending power in our, you know, everything. So I never really stopped and said, oh my gosh, I'm one of the leading voices. Um, I kind of had to be put on a break because I don't know if you've been, you've been seeing, I, I know you said you've seen some of my TikTok videos, mm -hmm. but because I'm so pro-Black advancement and pro-Black economics specifically, my accounts are always targeted. So um, I had my account banned three times on my original main account. I can only post on there ever so often. I made a second account and now that one's taken off, but I had to kind of stop and stop making videos because I was making them every day. And I saw that there were people who were getting like hundreds of thousands of views who were talking about they heard black economics from me. So, mm -hmm. and like people just kind of saying that they were messaging me. They're like, I'm gonna start telling my family and friends about black economics and that's when I kind of realized, wow, like maybe I am making kind of an imprint because sometimes it can feel like you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> right. So um, it's honestly amazing to me. My father, who um, obviously, you know, raised me in the nation, he was someone who was very kind of going around and letting people, Black people know about this. He was a minister in Louisiana. And I feel like I got that from him. So just kind mm -hmm. of knowing that I'm helping continue that legacy of pushing the importance of Black economics to our community is, it's amazing. I couldn't be thank more thankful. So we're getting into something a little controversial here. So people are targeting your accounts because of the content you have. What is yeah. it that you're saying on this content that you believe are, is causing people to be in such an uproar? What is it that you're possibly saying that would have people target these accounts and have you having to you know, take a break or switch over to another account in order to get your message across? Oh, they don't want us to talk about black unity and black economics, having our own. You know, we have 1.3, 1.5 now, forgive me, trillion dollars in spending power. And that money goes to other communities, other, you know, racist keeps their society afloat if we wake up and determine that we are going to take back our spending power take back our um skills our talent our labor instead of going to other people and going to you know this government and it going to us for ourselves just like with black wall street just like with the separated communities we've had they did everything to destroy those because they don't want us to have economic progress so that is the threat they want us to talk about race all day, racism, symbolism. They want us to talk about statues, street names of our legends. They want us to talk about these types of things because that doesn't actually bring us progress. But talking about economics, oh, that's over. <laughs> that's when you're a threat. And anytime you've seen any of our people come out and want to, you know, our celebrities, our leaders who have tried to steer us in the direction of economics and doing for ourselves, there's, you know, powers, you know, people who control them, control their money, who come out and say, you know, either you apologize or you say that that was incorrect or we're going to take your money away because 
that's the thing that they don't want us to have in their black community. So it's my account literally goes directly to that. So it's definitely a reason why it's targeted the most. Let's talk about that a little bit deeper. If we were to focus on black economics, if that's the thing that scares them and we can uh, later get into who them is or who they is, uh, but if they are afraid of black economic unity and us putting our money together or putting us putting our resources together, um, what do you think happens in the ideal society where black people come together and they begin investing in each other and rebuilding unity through uh, exchange of currency and goods and services? What exactly do you think happens to this planet if black economics were to uh, truly unite the way that we, you and I are envisioning? Well, what would happen would be a switch in our condition. So at that point, you know, we would come out of it, you know, being recognized and we would have to be a power because one of the things is that, look at what's happening with the Asian American community, for example. They were under attack. We've seen so many news media and outlets covering for months straight just you couldn't even turn on the tv without talking about what was happening in the asian american community stop asian hate they have huge and vast economic wealth they were able to leverage their economic wealth to actually bring bring about some type of political movement and they have a hate crime law not just that by president biden the biden administration but he gave them $50 million along with that. So politics without economics is symbolism without substance. And it's something that we face in our community. So we don't get any type of grants. We don't get any type of political leverage. We don't get anything because we don't have economics. So if we were to take and come together, pull our resources and have our own, then we would no longer be you know, begging and we would have to be looked at as a force and a, a nation. So it will give us power. And obviously along with that, we have, it wouldn't just be economics, but building up our own land, having ownership. We would look to what we've always been desired as respectable, as citizens, as someone, you know, in the society who are operating within business because business is warfare. So you would kind of see on the, you know, a, a switch, a shift mm. in the world where we are a power, a force. And I believe that that would just be, you know, us kind of seeing the desire that we've always wanted. We want, at the end of the day, freedom, justice, and equality, ownership, it, pulling our resources, having economics, we would see us operating under freedom, justice, and equality. So I think that we would be respected. Let's say I were to acquire 100 acres of land. What, what would be the first thing you would do with that land in order to create this ideal world that you're that you're envisioning. The first thing I would do um, the importance of so when you have land, and I think that we've actually seen this before with Black Wall Street and things like that. They didn't just have businesses, and when we have land, the importance is to focus on farming because we have to be in control of you know, being able to feed ourselves. We can't go and beg others for food. The second thing would be building up what we're building up and what we're producing, infrastructure, tilling the land, making sure that, you know, when we are 
accessing land, for example, that we have someone to till the land, farm the land, we have engineers, agriculture workers. And then, so from there, once we have that, we can start producing schools. We can start producing then, you know, businesses. So the most important thing is definitely having something to farm to feed ourselves, then having land to produce schools, businesses, and things like that. Yeah, so a big focus for you is the acquisition of agriculture, and farmland. So if we were able to get into that industry, you believe that would be a, a step in the right direction? Absolutely. We absolutely need to get into that industry and land ownership and agricultural. I mean, look at the condition of our people because we don't have access to agriculture and land. We are, majority of our communities are looked at as food deserts. So, you know, which it means that they have majority of fast food places in our communities. We have to drive 30 minutes to an hour out to receive any type of fresh organic produce. And the devastation and the problem with that is that if this government decided not to feed our people tomorrow, that would be the end for most of our people. That's unacceptable because we're not in agriculture because we don't have land. So it's super important for us to have those things and be in that industry. And we do have, you know, some, you know, we kind of lost that within the conditions of what we were going through after slavery, you know, integration and things like that ruined us having access to those things. So now we don't have access. We're not in agriculture and land, but if we start and collect our dollars, which is one of the big things about what I talk about, our collective dollars, pulling our resources, putting it into a Black national treasury, we then can collect our money and then go and buy land take our talent, our resources, our people who are skilled in labor, skilled in agriculture, and then can teach others. We can pick the best of our agricultural workers, the best people of us who know farming and land and teach it to all of us when we buy up land throughout America. And then that would then allow us to have agriculture, farm for ourselves, feed ourselves. Do you think, I know earlier uh, the, the name Biden was mentioned, do you think there is any true interest in reparations for quote unquote African-Americans, black people, um, some people <laughs> say ADOS, whatever you want to use as an identifier. Do you think there is any um, success in sight when it comes to reparations? So funny you asked me that. I actually just did a TikTok video on that that's getting a lot of um, good feedback and people are spreading it. So um, my first answer is no. It doesn't appear to be because we're six months into the year and everything President Biden has done for the African-American community has been symbolic. When he was, he literally in January, when he came into office, he, after he thanked Black people for helping him win the presidency and supporting him and having his back and said he was going to have our backs, he went immediately into signing executive orders. Now, I researched these executive orders and these executive orders helped out specifically the Hispanic community with, you know, helping reverse Trump's policies, immigration policies. They helped out the LGBTQ community with, you know, uh, moving forward with gender neutral policies and bathrooms and, you know, um, in different spaces. And there was nothing specific to the black community. What Biden was doing was for us, and I know you probably remember this, is he put 
Harriet Tubman, he was going to continue, excuse me, with the process of putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill for us. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So I made a TikTok video about that. So many people who voted for Biden of our people, Black people, told me to give him time. So I just did a six months update and I informed them that, you know, we just saw what he did, the Biden administration did for the Asian American community, giving them a $50 million grant along with the Stop Asian Hate Crime Bill. We have been in America for 400 years facing the most hate. We haven't gotten a dime. There's no discussion of reparations coming from Washington. But what did they do? They first, because people were in an uproar about the Juneteenth um, holiday that they were going to make Juneteenth a national holiday. But I'm like, even before that, they took something that was so horrific to us. And we're talking about economics, so it's, it's so funny. They, you know, the 100 years after, because the burning down of Black Wall Street was in 1921. We're in 2021, it's been 100 years. This government decided to, under the Biden administration, make that, what happened to Tulsa, Oklahoma, a day of remembrance. Instead of dishing out reparations for them burning down Black Wall Street, and not just Black Wall Street, it was Black-owned separated communities and towns that they burned down. We had over 60 towns. And no issue of reparations, they just are going to tell us that they acknowledge and remember it. It's an insult to us. It's totally symbolic. They are doing everything in the Biden administration to give us symbol to say, hey, you know, we're going to give you a holiday. We're going to remember Tulsa, Oklahoma. But even though we know that we have done everything in this government to prevent economic progress in the Black community, going way back to when they started the Freedmen's Bureau under Abraham Lincoln, and they gave our people who fought to defeat the Confederate Army, they gave them something, and then our people wanted to build up banks and buy land and all those things, and they destroyed all of that to prevent economic progress and so many different things they've done. We are going to get acknowledgement of a holiday no talk about reparations at all. So no, I don't believe that we're gonna get reparations from them. They have no intentions. They've skipped over us. They've given reparations to the um, Japanese American community. And they were in internment camps after us because Black Wall Street actually were, when they burned it down, they put our people into internment camps. We haven't gotten reparations from that. So I don't believe that they will give us anything and we should stop looking at this government as someone or something that is going to give us something. Lamila, let, let's let's dive into this. I'm, I'm glad you and I have bumped into each other uh, through the means of social media and have an opportunity to connect here because I think this is such a groundbreaking uh, conversation. Because when you're saying um, it was symbolic, and uh, there was another key word you used there. As you're saying those things, I'm thinking, I think you said something about it was kind of like a slap in the face, kind of uh, something along those lines. Right. And, and whenever, whenever I hear that, I always think to myself, well, if somebody is, oh, that's the word you use, insult. If somebody has insulted me and they've been insulting me for, at least 100 years, if not more. Um, at some point, I have to decide in my mind that perhaps this is on purpose. 
right? It's not just an oversight, right? <laughs> right? I mean, at, exactly. some point, at some point, it has to get to a point where we're like, wait, you're insulting me on purpose. I've told you my boundaries. <laughs> I've told you what I expect. I've told you what we are demanding. And yet you're handing me the Juneteenth holiday as a, as a symbol of whatever makes you feel good. But it, part of also this problem, and I'm not sure how deep you want to go here, part of the problem is some Black people are okay with symbols. They're okay with, right. uh, you know, uh, ringing the bell and singing the, uh, the, the Black national anthem. We shall overcome. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and stand up there and saying it's Juneteenth. We've, it's some type of victory. We're okay with Maxine Waters going on a BT Awards and talking about reclaiming her time. We're okay with these very symbolic moments so then we can have a meme or we can have something trending on social media. We're okay with the status quo. So a, a thing that we got to look at is why are we okay with status quo? You know what? Um a lot of our people, and one of the things that I like to say is we've been deprived of justice for so long, some of us don't even know what it looks like anymore. Mm. And that's one side of it. We don't even know what to look for when it comes from justice from this government. The only thing we should even be considering from them is reparations, is them giving us after our grandparents literally paid with blood to build up this economy through free labor, through you know the most torturous human experience that anyone has ever been through. We should deserve, you know, we made America a, a nation, a huge nation, the biggest economic force. We deserve reparations. We deserve reparations. We deserve land. And that's the only thing that we would accept for them to be able to build up and go for ourselves. And then we should be there without having to pay taxes. That's it. We don't want to hear, you know, them telling us that they're going to give us holidays past voting rights. We don't want that. We don't want more laws passed. You break the laws. We believe that we have to look and see that after, like you said, you know, if someone's insulting me for 400 plus years, I have to start thinking this is intentional. For over 400 years, we have not been able to live in peace and coexist with each other. We have to at once, at some point, say to ourselves, can we be better separated? Now, it is not just an idea. It's not just something we have to look upon. Facts and statistics and history will tell you that our people were better separated, not segregated. Segregated was not, was not a choice. Separated was not, um, yeah, separated is a choice and it is Black-owned. Segregated was not Black-owned. We're not looking for a white water fountain next to a black water fountain, but my black water fountain is still operated by the same white people who operated their white water fountain. So my black water fountain is less than. No, we're saying we want complete and total ownership over our own destiny to do for ourselves. So we can see that after, you know, it's, it's always taught and it's such a huge misconception and really an outright lie that after slavery, our grandparents, our great grandparents were focused on integration. They absolutely were not. Think about it. Our grandparents coming after slavery had experienced the most psychotic mental behavior of white people. They were cutting off their tongues, lynching them, 
burning them, doing any, you know, literally cutting off their generals, the worst thing. Do you think our people would sit there and say, after they have been emancipated, according to them, that we wanted to get closer to white people? No, they wanted to go for themselves. And that's what they did. So, you know, in um, North Carolina, for example, our people were asked after, you know, like I said, you know, after our people had fought in the war, mm -hmm. what they wanted. So in North Carolina, after um, General Sherman had asked our people in North Carolina what they wanted for themselves, our people were so intellectually inclined that they said they wanted to have destiny of their own, ownership of their own. So they wanted land to go and do for themselves. And one of the things that they had that was part of the um, agreement, they had said that one of the grounds were that they had to settle there and no other race could settle because other races and a mixture of other races would prevent them from ever getting any type of economic progress because the hatred of others and the issue with others integrating and being around us. So they were so intent and so unkind that they knew they had to be on their own. They were extremely successful. They had 40,000 acres of land. They had um, over 100,000 free slaves there. And they were building up their own successful ownership. And they were having their own schools, their own businesses. It was extremely successful. Black Wall Street. Why did we have our own separated communities? We had over 60 towns. Our people knew that they had to be separated in order to be successful. Black Wall Street, they built up not just businesses. They had schools. They had um, law offices, doctors, you know, everything. And they were operating on their own. And they were successful because they were separated. What ruined Black Wall Street was not the burning down of Black Wall Street because our ancestors rebuilt it. What ruined Black Wall Street was integration and allowing other businesses to come in. And after that, 85% of, of the money that was spent in the Tulsa Greenwood district was spent outside of it after integration. So we were successful. All of the things that we had, like look at you know, our, our Black-owned hair care products, our music, Motown, things like that. Everything that we had that was Black-owned you know, everything was black owned after slavery. It was ours. Integration ruined it. And so now the things that were black owned are not any longer. How is it possible that we don't own black owned hair care products for our own hair? We aren't even in the market. We don't own our talent, our music. Like I said, look at, and look at the harms of that. Motown and our, all of our black music used to be, it used to be about something. It used to be beautiful. It used to be, you know, sending a message. Integration, now look at our music, you know? So it's everything about what our grandparents were about was building up our own. And they knew that our separation and being on our own was vital to our success. So what do you do when these opportunities do come your way? Like, I know you're saying, you know, we didn't have this, we didn't have that. I got a feeling that the tables are about to turn. Because I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of people right. like you and I waking up. A lot of people plugging into your content, people leaving comments, like, how do we connect? How do we work together? So as this thing is shifting, whether we get the reparations or not, 
and people become more business minded and they start putting their money together and start investing in other communities. Because one thing that we do bring to any situation is the cool factor. We decide yes. what's hot, what's not. Right. And so since we have that power, how do we utilize it to leverage, you know, out here in this game that we're playing? So one of the things is that I'm glad you asked that. We have to be collective. We have to do it together. We have to work as one. No other community, no other nation, no other, you know, yeah, no other nation can operate successfully without unity, without collectively pulling their resources. And even ants, ants do it. You know, something as basic as ants, they have to work together to build up their, their colonies. And if they're not together, then that's not gonna work out for them. So the thing with us is that black people in America, we are a nation within a nation. We are entirely a nation of our own. And so I followed in my videos, I always talk about Elijah Muhammad's economic blueprint plan. It is a plan that is totally about uniting our dollars, pulling our resources, and then from then ending poverty and want in our communities. So the system of it is, I like to go ahead and tell people that, you know, look at America. America has the United States Department of Treasury. This was when, you know, they had separated from the 13 colonies and became one. They had to have a central location to put their money and it had to be united, it had to be collective to dish out, you know, their money to other places and allocate that money to other places. But it's a central location where their money is, America's money is held. That's what the Department of Treasury is. We, under the economic blueprint, blueprint plan of the Elijah Muhammad have a black national treasury that's already set up. Now that treasury is a place where these individuals in the nation of Islam have taken an oath that if they misuse or abuse the funds in this treasury that they will pay with their lives. It's that serious. We view the economic progress and the prosperity of our people that seriously. So what it is is the program is about collecting our dollars and our money and our cents together, all of, our, all of the wage earners in the Black community, putting in, for example, as little as five cents a day, that would total 35 cents a week, that would total a dollar and 40 a month, and that would total $18.20 a year. Now, that multiplied by, let's say, 16 million Black people, wage earners. That would total $291 million in one year. And imagine the farmland we could buy. Imagine what we could do with that money. There's so much land for sale in America. So if we came together and all of us who, like you said, are showing an interest in economics and putting our, pulling our resources, because it's huge that we do it together. If we're not doing it together, we're going to be all over the place. And we already are. So putting our money into one location, collecting it, and, and it's painless. Five cents a day? An economist said that you can go outside and find five cents on the floor. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like we're, you know, it, it cannot be trustworthy because we're asking you to donate hundreds of dollars. Five cents for our economic progress together, our collectiveness together. And this is who we've, you know, we've kind of gone away from that 
but we've always in our community and our tradition of our people, how we've survived slavery, how we've even built up economic progress in towns in the past is because we had the mindset of working as a collective and not doing anything that wasn't gonna benefit our people. So the Freedmen's Bureau, like I mentioned um, prior to, it was Abraham Lincoln after the blacks in the army had helped defeat the Confederate army saying, we're gonna give you something. The army veterans said, I don't want anything if it's not gonna benefit the entirety of my community. That's what we used to stand on. It was no individual, you know, let's get rich. It wasn't just me looking out for my family. It was everybody in our community has to benefit in some way. Look at hidden figures, for example. One of the things we can see is that the um, Octavia, when I'm, I can, I'm not remembering her last name, but she played. That's her, I think. Yes, she played um, in Hidden Figures and she was over the computers. She was the head of that department. She, every single time that white woman, which is what, you know, they've done, that's their history, came in and said, well, just you or we can just benefit, you know, like kind of the crabs in the barrel, barrel sense where we just want to take a few of you and bring success. She said, I'd rather sit here and lose everything than go without bringing and lifting up my people. And then all of them benefit from, you know, learning the IBMs. That's just an example. But that's just our culture has always been, you know, prior to, like I said, immigration definitely was one of the worst things that happened to us because it ruined our unity, it ruined our family structures and bringing in things like the war on drugs, stuff like that really just ruined our family structures. But it was really integration and losing our sense of unity and working together, it really just kind of destroyed our progress. So one of the things that has to happen is us going and collectively pulling our resources, pulling our talent and having the united mindset and that we are going to do this for the whole of our people and work together. So something like the Black National Treasury, where we can all put our money into, know that it's legitimate and then take this money and buy up the land and work together to build up businesses, use our talent and our skills. Like you said, our culture is huge. Our influence is huge. I have a video where I talk about how we gave Popeye's $65 million in free advertisement because that Popeye's chicken sandwich thing, we made it huge. They didn't give us a dime for that, but we gave, we, we gave them $65 million. Imagine if we made something like the Black National Treasury popular, uniting our dollars collectively, it would almost be overnight when we see a change. I love that idea of a Black National Treasury. Uh, I definitely want to put some information on that in the show notes. So then people who are listening who want to take advantage and make sure that this is something that they're putting a good seed into, um, that they have uh, full access to that. So thank you for uh, shine yes, light on it. I that. And you, um, the website for that is www.economicblueprint.org. Um, or you can go on the NOI.org official website and then um, click on Economic Blueprint, Elijah Muhammad's Economic Blueprint Plan, and you'll see it come up. Yeah, because so. we've, built, we've built up a lot of these platforms. We've built up Clubhouse, we've built up TikTok, we've built yes. up Instagram, we built Facebook. Basically, everybody is becoming, benefiting off of us. Yeah, they're bu- they're building their wealth As usual. Off, off of our interests and off of uh, the things that we're doing, and really, our talent. Black people are becoming the product again, 
And so if we don't step in, especially voices like you and I, and say, hold on a second, We're, you know, we smell something fishy going on here, people are going to keep <laughs> doing what they've always done. Exactly. And we can't allow that to continue because, I mean, the reason that we need to get behind Black economics, and I, and I push it so hard because it's so important, like I said, business is warfare, business is life, you know, economics is so important. If we don't have that, we're not a people, we're really not, we're just kind of begging others. And um, it's so important because every year our condition is getting close, getting worse. The economic wealth gap between Blacks and whites is steadily increasing. For every $5 a Black family has, a white family has $100. We, um, Forbes estimates that by 2050, the median um, Black family average income will be $0. That should not be possible when we have a spending power that equals $1.5 trillion. But in our community, this dollar only lasts for six hours. Now, um, the way that that is measured for those who don't know is that the dollar is kind of, you know, how, how you measure economic life in a community. So how long it lasts, the ability to keep it in the community determines generational wealth. We are at the bottom of that totem pole. The Asian community, they are so united and they stand together and they work together and they operate off of Black economics and the idea of collective economics together that they are able to keep the dollar in their community for a month before it leaves out to other communities and before their dollar backs something other than the Asian business. The Jewish community for, seven, for 20 days, excuse me, the white community, 20, 17 days, and then in the black community, only six hours. So we don't even see our dollars last in our community for half a day. That's not acceptable because we need it the most. We need our dollars to come and stay in our community and something such as a black national treasury allows us to take control of our dollars. No, you're exactly right. And I think that's why it's important for uh, people like you and I um, to get this message out and then also keep keep continue to push the message out um, yes. uh, you know anytime that we have a chance to do panels or have conversations on this or bring entrepreneurs and investors together we need to be really focused on how are we creating jobs in our community how are we creating um, resources for our community a lot of times it's only six hours because within five minutes there's something built you know, right right by that person's house that mm -hmm. gives them exactly what they need, whether it be a grocery store or a exactly. restaurant or whatever it may be, it's exactly what they need. So why would they go, you know, take that dollar to, you know, to a to black restaurant that's exactly. an hour away? And hour away and typically speaking, because we don't have, you know, we're not the manufacturers, we're not the producers, it's more expensive. Exactly. And that's a huge issue within our community is I don't want to support black owned businesses because this they charge too much. We don't have that fundamental understanding and knowledge that we're not the producers. So having land, having agriculture, being the producers of our clothing, being the producers of everything that we push out would solve for that, which is why we have to look beyond supporting, just supporting Black-owned businesses. It has to be a collective pooling of our resources and our talent and building up 
are, are working together to build up the knowledge that we have and using our skilled people and our engineers and those of us who know how to do this so that we can be the producers. Because if we have a bunch of small black owned businesses, but we're not the manufacturers, we're not the owners, then we won't see our condition improve. So it has to be collecting and redistributing our money back into our hands. Well, Mila, I thank you so much for uh, having this conversation on Black economics. I know this is just an appetizer of all the really great content that you're putting out there. I want you to know that anytime you want to come back on and continue uh, talking about Black economics and what we can do, uh, what we've seen that hasn't worked, what we've seen that has worked, uh, I know for me, I'm positioning myself to be not only a producer, but also someone who can control what I produce. Because it's one thing to produce Amazing. it, but if we don't control what we're producing, then it was just the same cycle all we're over just, again. Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I want to make sure that you and I uh, stay connected. And for those who want to connect yeah. with you and reach out and collaborate, what are some ways that they can do that? So um, I have several social media platforms. I have, as you know, my TikTok, which is, um, it's Millibrat, which is I-T-S-M-I-L-A-B-R-T-T. And I also have my more active one, because like I said, that account was targeted. And I have um, Chats with Mila 2. So it's C-H-A-T-S-M-I-L-A 2, the number two. Um, and then I also have my YouTube channel for Chats with Mila. And then I have my Instagram, which is Mila.Brat, M-I-L-A dot B-R-T-T. I have my own website, which is uh, Millabrat.com, M-I-L-B-R-A-T-T.com. And all of those things. And on millibrat.com, I have shirts that say we need to support the Black National Treasury, rebuild Black Wall Street. Because I think that, you know, putting out these conscious messages and really just having positive affirmations and reinforcements in our community. And like you said, our culture is so huge. If we start talking about this in our music and the clothes we wear and what we represent, it's over. You know, I, I say that all the time. Like I, I listen to just I really listen to new music every day, uh, not every day, every Friday. And right. we're I'm curating um, a playlist for our podcast every Friday uh, morning slash afternoon. And I'll listen to some of the lyrics. And, you know, we're giving so much attention to places that don't put money back in our pocket. Uh, for example, right. uh, you know, the Gucci's, Gucci. the Prada's, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. even like, even, even though it's not something that I necessarily pay attention to, but even the liquor that people talk about in their lyrics, a lot of the liquor is not black owned. I mean, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to get drunk oh, and high, yeah. can we at least get drunk and high on the black owned supply rather than black owned somebody liquor? else? <laughs> so, um, right. But it would be so cool if, not even just cool, but it would be right for us to shout out all these Black-owned businesses that are putting out high-quality products and services and throw them in the middle of a Jay-Z verse, throw right. them in the middle of a Nas verse, throw them in the middle of a J. Cole verse, Rhapsody, right. uh, Missy Elliott, and let that be part of the culture. It doesn't make sense for Kanye to be one of the most successful people in the world and then on one of these songs, he's basically telling you, I'm going to leave your ass for a white girl. It just doesn't, even mm -hmm. 
as human beings, we're, we're devaluing each other by looking, looking outside of our culture for uh, our queens or our kings uh, to build a legacy with. Once right. we start taking value right. in each other, that's where the true value is going to come. Exactly. You hit it right on the target. And, you know, one of the issues with that is, again, going back to ownership. We don't own these record labels. We don't own these companies. They make sure that they push out a certain message in order for them to be there. And we're really not in control of it as much as we should be. But even in the sense of the pictures they have, they do have some influence to leverage. Like, you know, look at Beyonce. She's coming out and she's doing something such as Black as King. But it has mm-hmm. to be a trickle down of, of everyone coming in and saying, we're going to make Black love, Black culture, Black businesses. And like you said, I think it's really good that you said specifically, shout out a Black business. Don't just say Black businesses. Start making Gucci, you know, the um, replacing that with one of the Black-owned shops that we know and making mm-hmm. that the new Gucci, making Black-owned the new name brand. And so funny, I have a t-shirt that's coming out. It says Black-owned is the new name brand. You know, yeah. and we don't have to have shirts that just t-shirts that just say black uh, affirmations on them, but we have black businesses that have clothing designs that are in silk that are so, you know, finely produced clothing designs that they have that are, you know, handmade. And like I said, this also goes back to the collective and us coming together because we can't continue to have a million small individual Black-owned motion brands instead of just having two or three that are working together. We can't keep having a million small Black-owned clothing brands. Why don't y'all combine them and work together? And that's the problem. That's why we end up being successful because we don't have, we tell Black people to boycott Walmart. With what? What's the Black equivalent? You know, so it's important that we start doing those things and coming together and working, like I said, collectively towards the common goal of switching our position into having economic progress. Well, Mila, I, I, what I'm going to say uh, publicly is both, of, both you and I are in this Black economic space. And so if there's anything you need, um, let me know. So then we can look out for each other and figure out how to build this thing. For me, I'm even looking at this internationally this time, at this point. I yeah. wanna look at you right. know, how do we move internationally? Um, how do we uh, leverage the United Nations uh, against uh, countries like the United States who aren't taking care of its people? They're pretending like they are, but they've made promises that they haven't kept. And so at some point, we're gonna have to have an international conversation about what really happened and is happening to black bodies that were taken from Africa. And there's been no true responsibility taken for this. And at some point- Of the genocide. Of the, exactly. Let's call at it what it is. At some point, our ancestors are going to uh, make it known um, of what our demands are. And so uh, as we're watching all this play out and all these different things, but people are pretending like they don't know what we are demanding, it's gonna be very interesting to watch tables turn. One thing about tables, they always turn. And I'm looking forward to seeing how black economics helps uh, turn um, history into our favor. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yes. And that's exactly what's gonna do it is our, is our you know, uniting collectively and focusing on economic progress and 
you know, really just, like I said, supporting the Black National Treasury and a nation that's been, like I said, the nation of Islam's been around since the 1930s, have never changed the principle, have always been on this, you know, target of Black prosperity, Black economics, wanting freedom, justice, and equality for our people. And we have stood on that. So we are definitely the people to have a black national treasury you can see we've produced malcolm x and you know muhammad ali and minister farrakhan and we're under that leadership and we definitely are always in the streets helping our people so you know definitely look into the black national treasury of course because that's one of the biggest things that i stand on but thank you so much for having me thank you on your podcast you. and i definitely and as well as with you you can always reach out to me and um keep me in the loop and i'll do the same Thank you so much for coming on. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, talk to you soon. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you to Mila Brett for stopping through and having this wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, very eye-opening. And uh, I would say support your Black creators. Start looking at other places for Black creators to flourish. The black creator is being marginalized across many different platforms. And for the most part, it's because they are afraid of our truth. They don't want us in a position of power, but unfortunately for them, it's too late. The black creator is here to stay. Once you know that you can create your reality, nobody can stop you. And that's what they're afraid of. It's been an honor, honor, honor to have this conversation. I look forward to more conversations like this one. I'll talk to you all soon. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Black Equity Network. You can also email us at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com. And if you're looking to connect, you can actually text me at the following number. Okay? At the following number, you can text me. You can text me at 305-590-5618 if you want to stay connected. Once again, I'm DJ Motri, and I'll talk to you soon.